Man, it's just so good to be in the house of God this morning, and I can just sense you're a little bit excited. I can sense in the worship that you guys are a little excited to worship Jesus together today. Who's ready for the last word of the year? Last word of the year. Turn with me with your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, if you would. And uh, to all of you joining us online, we're so glad to have you worshiping with us today. Wherever you are, I pray that the Spirit of God would fill that place where you are today. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking. Have you ever uttered those words? Uh-oh. Someone's like, uh-oh. Have you ever uttered those words? Probably more, it would be more accurate to say, when was the last time you uttered those words? Anyone recently, even over the Christmas holiday, you said, I don't know what I was thinking. Some of you bought gifts for your little kids that required batteries that made lots of noise, and you were thinking to yourself, I don't know what I was thinking, right? All the grandparents, aunts, and uncles that bought those gifts for your kids, we were like, we know what we were thinking, Right? <laughs> We know. And, uh, you know, maybe some of you have been reflecting on uh, the past. Maybe you had your photo albums out. Have you ever been looking at photos from yourself from the past and thought to yourself, I don't know what I was thinking? Right? Any of the fashion? Has anyone seen pictures? Maybe it was a hairstyle or a fashion, and you were like, I thought I was so cool back then, right? Now I'm like, I don't know what I was thinking. I was trying to find a photo this morning, and, and I, I didn't go digging far enough into the archives. It was way in the back behind all the Christmas decorations. So I couldn't get it for you to show you today. But I remember a photo of me in the year 2000. Anyone remember the year 2000? New Year's Eve 2000, and Jer had bleach blonde hair. Anyone ever had bleach blonde hair before? But not like the, the cool blonde. It was like the yellow kind, like the golden yellow that came out really badly. And I remember thinking I was so cool. Now I'm wondering, what was I thinking? You know, well, fashion's always changing. I saw some headlines this year about some fashion sets. Now, this was a hot take. Because I know this fashion trend, some people really love it. Some people are like really against it. And I thought this trend had died. It started about 20 years ago. I thought it had died, but it has come back with a vengeance. So let me hear you right now. Crocs, yay, or Crocs, nay? Where's the Crocs, yay, people? Yeah, where's the Crocs, nay, people? Right? Where's the Crocs with socks, people? They're all right here in the front row. Right? Crocs. Now... Crocs have evolved because they're about 20 years old, but they have sold 54% more the last two years. They're on a comeback. But if you're not a Crocs and socks person, maybe you would like some of these Crocs, Crocs winter boots style. Anyone? Uh, here's some winter boot Crocs for you. If you still haven't, you know, maybe you did a return and you have some money burning a hole in your pocket, here's an idea for you. Now, some of you got a little bit more style sense. You know, Croc winter boots aren't for you. Maybe you're a Western kind of person. Now you can get Crocs cowboy boots right here. Crocs cowboy boots. You think I'm joking, but this is a real thing. Crocs cowboy boots. Maybe you're really into fashion. Maybe you're like a high-faluting fashion person. You can get uh, Croc stilettos right here. And uh, this is a partnership. You think I'm joking. This is a crossover collaboration. Balenciaga and Crocs are selling these for $800 US. Right here, Crocs and stilettos. And, uh, and, and one more for you right here. This is powered by the internet. These are the Croc big yellow boots right there. 
And so if you want a fashion piece for your wardrobe that no one else in Penticton has, these are for you, $499 US, and they could be yours. How many know that there's going to be some people in the future thinking, what was I thinking, right? What did I wear on my feet? What was I spending my money on? You know, we look back at certain things, and, and it's not just fashion. Sometimes there's choices we've made. Right? On a more serious note, sometimes our choices come with consequence. How many of you have ever had a relationship and you were wondering, what was I thinking in that relationship? You know, for some of us, it was about uh, purchases, financial commitments, things that we took on and we were thinking, this thing has become a burden. What was this obligation I took on financially? What was I thinking? Maybe it was a temptation or a sin that you gave into. I don't know what I was thinking. How many people have ever ended up in my office? So many people. And they say, Pastor Jerry, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know how I ended up in this place. But a pattern of, of decisions got me here. You know, one of the best things that keep, can keep us from looking back on our choices with regret is having a good friend. Sometimes you need a good friend to tell you socks with Crocs is not the look. Right? Sometimes you need a good friend to tell you the truth, right? That, that, that hairdo, you know, bleach blonde hair is not that cool, you know? And, uh, and so you got, but, but you need a good friend sometimes to tell you the truth. How many, if you are the most brilliant person in your friend group and you, everything you do is brilliant, you might need to find some new friends. I'm just telling you. <laughs> sometimes you need a friend that will tell you you might want to rethink that. Right? But it's not just fashion. It's not just design. Sometimes it's our long-held beliefs. Sometimes there's subconscious thoughts we have. We call it a paradigm shift. Right? When we go from one uh, way of thinking, we have a paradigm shift. We begin to think about things uh, differently. There's a well-known story told in the business world about a CEO who was uh, new to a major drill uh, bit manufacturer. And the manufacturing company of these drill bits had uh, been going through a difficult time and their sales had been declining and their share was slipping. And so the new CEO gathered his executives together to brainstorm a new way to stay competitive. And so he had his sales team pitch him every idea they could think of to improve their business. One by one, they all chimed in with ideas to make their drill bits lighter, stronger, more economical to produce. And the new CEO listened to his team for a while before he interjected. And he said, our customers don't want better drill bits. Looking at him, the executive team was kind of thinking, well, we've been really highly successful, and, and, and I, don't, I don't think you understand our company. And they believed him. They challenged his assertion, and he replied, they don't want better drill bits. What they want is better holes. See, the shift in perspective led the company to explore different innovative ways to produce holes other than drill bits. And because of this uh, paradigm shift, they began to think at laser beams and high-intensity heat, cryogenics, water jet, began to think about ways to produce new holes. How many know sometimes it's as simple as having someone come alongside of you and say, have you thought about looking at this differently? Right? We need a shift in perspective. A shift in perspective can bring all kinds of new opportunities and open new doors and change completely the way we perceive ourselves and the way we perceive our situation. You know, Scripture actually talks about a paradigm shift that we all need to undertake. In Romans 12, it says this in verse 1, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. 
Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he finds acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God, everyone say let God. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I love this passage. It talks about a paradigm shift. It talks about being made new in Christ, but then it also talks about the process of maturity. We let God transform us into a new person, and then it says, and then you'll learn to know God's will for you. It's a process from new life to maturity. How many know that maturity doesn't have to do with age? How many know that you can be really old and still immature, and you can be young and you can be mature for your age, right? Maturity isn't about age. It's about being developed in your thinking. We need a paradigm shift that matures us in our spiritual perspective. Now, as the Apostle Paul writes this verse, he's addressing our part in, in seeing this process take place. He says we have to let God transform us by changing the way we think. That means as we go into this new year, we need to be reflective on what has God done in my life this past year? How has God changed, challenged, and transformed me? And what is God leading me to into the year to come? Am I engaged with what God is revealing to me and initiating in my life? I think that we should all, as mature believers, be ready at any time to give an answer when someone says, what is God doing in your life? How is he growing? What is he pushing on? What is he touching on in your life? How is he challenging your perspective? How many know us, we want to keep growing, maturing in Christ? We should always have... Sorry. We should always have something that God is developing in us. See, rethinking some of the choices we make or the beliefs that we hold on to, even subconsciously, it can protect us uh, from painful breakdowns, and it can lead to, lead to significant breakthroughs in our life. That's what I think God wants to do for us. He wants to help us avoid breakdown, and he wants to lead us to breakthrough. And that's what we're going to see this morning if you turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. As Acts 3 closes, we see Peter and John flying high. Right? You know, their, their emotions are high, their energy is high, their joy is high. A man has been crippled since birth, has just been miraculously healed. And as the crowd is pressing in, they want to see what's going on. Peter and John seize the opportunity to talk and to preach about the person and the power of Jesus Christ. And I love how Luke records this in, uh, in, in Acts chapter 3, verse 26. He talks about Peter and John's words. He says, when God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him to bless you by turning you back from your sinful ways. They didn't have the sign, turn or burn, on the street corner. What they were saying on the street corner is, God wants to bless you. God loves you. He favors you. He's calling you. God has a plan and a purpose for you. I love how Romans 2 describes the call of Christ this way. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Can't you see that it's his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? kindness 
Yesterday I was at the hospital. I had an unexpected call from uh, someone I never met before and they had just received the news. They had not long to live. And as I sat in that room with them, I began to speak to them about God's kindness that calls us to repentance so we can know with a surety that Christ has prepared a place for us that we don't need to face the future with fear, but we can go with assurance knowing that Christ has made a way for us to be made right with God. It's his kindness that draws us to repentance. And so Peter and John are imploring people to respond to the goodness and the blessing of God, to repent of their self-sufficiency, to repent of their sin. And it says that people are responding. And that's when the other guy showed up. Acts chapter 4 verse 1 says this, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there's resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. Now, the Sadducees had two problems. First one is that they didn't like Jesus. Jesus represented a threat to their authority and to the way they did things religiously. They actually believed that they had already dealt with Jesus through the crucifixion on the cross. These are the same people who just weeks before had condemned Jesus to die at the hand of Pilate. And so they didn't believe theologically in the resurrection of the dead. And so they thought, we've already dealt with this Jesus thing, and now we have these followers of his claiming he's been resurrected from the dead and still instilling more people to follow Jesus. This whole situation happening right now was a huge nuisance to them and a public disturbance to their way of doing things. But verse 4 says this, many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000 people. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, it says Peter had got up to preach. And as he talked about this goodness of God and Jesus' call uh, to repentance, it said that 3,000 people believed that day and were baptized. And now, two chapters later, we see this movement beginning to happen. 5,000 men, it says here, believe. 5,000 households including the women and children, more than 5,000 people believing in Jesus. Now, historians believe the population of Jerusalem at this time was somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 people. So not that much bigger than Penticton in the surrounding area. And it says, can you imagine 5 to 10% of the people beginning to follow Jesus? This movement had begun. How many would love to see 10% of our community coming to church here next week? We'd have like so many services and we'd all gladly say, take my seat, right? We'd be willing, having all the churches in town packed to the brim of people coming to know Jesus. This is an incredible move of God that's happening in this town, in this place. It says the next day, Peter and John are ordered to appear before the high priest and the religious leaders to face questioning. They wanted clarity on what was going on and this is what it says in verse seven. The Sadducees asked them, by what power... And in whose name have you done this? To which Luke records that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he stood up to respond. He says, you don't want to hear this? But Jesus, the guy that you don't believe God raised from the dead? This is all connected to him. That this power that healed this lame man is from him. That this power the Old Testament scripture said would be uh, given to us 
comes from him. The Bible says that the stone that the builder rejected, that's you guys, rejected the stone has become the chief cornerstone and the foundation for our belief. There is no other way and no other name by which we can be saved. Verse 13 continues, and the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. If you have your Bible, you should underline that. Ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them, and here's where the difference comes in, as men who had been with Jesus. No ordinary men with no special training, but men who had been with Jesus. Since they could see the man who'd been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. See, the time they spent with Jesus had changed them. Their ordinary lives had seen an extraordinary transformation and a supernatural transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, even in the face of adversity, their reaction and their response is to be bold about the transforming power of Jesus Christ. What are the religious leaders to do? The man who everyone knew had been the lame beggar. He'd been sitting at the gate for years. Everyone in town knew who he was, and now he's standing right in front of them with that goofy grin on his face. They must have been so irked. All they can do is send the men off with a warning to cease and desist preaching about Jesus. Now you can probably imagine that these men, Peter and John, their friends are worried sick about them. They've been in prison overnight and their friends are worried about what's going to happen and Peter and John rejoin them for breakfast and they begin to tell them all that had happened and the threats the leaders had made against them and then the most amazing thing happened. I want to ask you this morning, who do you have surrounding you? Who do you have speaking into your life? What are the quality of your Friends, Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Peter and John are surrounded by great friends. They immediately return to tell them all that has happened, but then rather than crying and hiding and running away with fear, says they respond with a prayer meeting. How many want some friends that respond with you to adversity with a prayer meeting? They begin to pray. And what you might think is a natural response to adversity, to shrink back in fear, they have a different response altogether. It might come as a surprise to you what they prayed for in a moment like this. Acts chapter 4 verse 29 records their prayer. It says, Now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. There's a law in physics. It's called the path of least resistance. If you've ever worked with water or electricity, or you ever watched the news, weather, the weather report, uh, storms go from an area of high pressure to low pressure, right? Things in the natural order follow the path of least resistance. It's just going to go wherever the flow takes them, wherever the, the least resistance is. And so often as people, we want to follow that trend too, don't we? 
right? We see it in so many areas of our lives. We want to avoid conflict. We want to minimize effort. We want to evade struggle, right? Hard work is something that we, we try to avoid as much as possible, right? Work harder, not smarter, all that kind of a thing, right? We want to follow the path of least resistance, and so we want to avoid the things that seem difficult. But every once in a while, you encounter someone who rises up, who tends to think differently. You ever encountered someone, maybe it was in your business, Maybe it was the way that they led. Maybe it was a boss that you had or a coworker that you had. Maybe it was a family member who was just a little contrarian, right? And they just began to think about things a little differently as you spent time with them. Someone who wasn't following the path of least resistance, right? Someone who was willing to confront head on the things that were standing in front of them. Someone who had a shift in perspective and thought differently than the norm. Have you ever had someone like that in your life? Peter and John, the friends they go back to are not people who follow the path of least resistance. They're people who've been transformed by God in the way they thought, and the result was a change in how they prayed. Now, O Lord, hear their threats. Give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Remember the first time I ever read this passage and it began to, to dawn on me that they weren't praying for the threats to be gone. They weren't praying for their lives to be made easier. They weren't praying, God, would you make this situation more bearable, more comfortable? Would you make it easier for us? It says here that they prayed for themselves to be changed, to rise up to the challenge. I mean, if there's ever a time in history, if there's ever a time in society where there's a high-pressure situation uh, against following the ways of Christ, whenever we feel this temptation to follow the path of least resistance, how many know we need a church that will rise up and pray, God, will you help us rise to the challenge? Will you help us rise to the occasion with boldness and with courage? They pray to be changed with boldness to continue preaching the good news. In the middle of such disheartening circumstances, people, they prayed, would encounter the power and presence of Jesus Christ. Saying, God, in the midst of opposition, would your supernatural work and would your fingerprints be all over this situation? Would people be made known that it's your hand at work and then help us step up our game to be your witnesses? You know, if we were to think about our prayers, how many of our prayers revolve around the idea of making my life better? God, make my life easier. Would you make it more bearable? Help me to escape the pressure of the situation that I'm in. How many know that's not, the, when the pressure, you know, the high pressure and low pressure, right? If you are low pressure on the inside, you're going to crumple, right? But we have this high pressure pushing in on us. But the Bible says, greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. How do we know that there's a greater pressure within you that pushes against the pressure of the world, pushes against the pressure of persecution? When we say, God, fill me with your spirit, there's a greater sense of God's pressure within you that pushes against the darkness. You're not going to crumple when you pray this prayer. Jesus, would you rise up inside of me, help me to see people come to know you in spite of the opposition and pressure that we're facing. I think this radical shift in perspective in how they prayed came from a radical shift in how they viewed themselves. Going back to this verse, it says here that the shift in their prayers was a shift 
originated in how they perceived themselves. He says, now give us your servants great boldness. Servants here in the Greek is the word doulos. Doulos means to be devoted to another at the disregard of one's own interest. It means to be given to another's will. Give us your servants boldness and courage. See, the key to spiritual maturity, to living this new life in God, the God that, life that God's called you to, anointed you for, equipped you for, is realizing that your life isn't really about you. We come to God with our prayers that are all about my life and my will and what I need and making my life easier and better and more comfortable. And they said, our life is not our own. We are your servants. To be a follower of Christ means every day to pray less of me today, Lord, and more of you in my life. Pastor and author Mark Batterson, he says this. He said, for many years I thought I was following Jesus, but I wasn't. I had invited Jesus to follow me. We have this revelation that Jesus, I am your servant. I am about your will. I'm devoted to your calling. You know, that can scare a lot of us, this thought of surrendering control of our own lives. But when we think about it, how much harm have we done to our own lives? How much uh, have we set ourselves back in the pursuit of our own desires? Who wants better for you than your creator? Who wants better for you than the one who created you, informed you, who's called you, who's equipped you? God wants us to be his servants. We don't want to look back on the circumstance of our, of our lives and think, what was I thinking? Living life for myself. We want to look back and say, God, I live my life for you. That's the life of maturity, a life that's fulfilled, a life that's accomplishing God's purpose. It's not a life that follows the path of least resistance, but it's the life that's completely set on serving Jesus and praise for his glory in every situation. And I love what it says here in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. Just a couple of days from now, we're having our week of prayer. We're going to start off Sunday night with an encounter night of worship. Then throughout the week, we're going to have people here all day praying in the prayer room downstairs. We're going to have guided prayer that's going to lead you through a prayer. If you are unfamiliar or you've never prayed much on your own, you can come and it will just guide you. And you can get a half hour slot. Maybe you want an hour slot. You want to take two slots in a row. Maybe you're here and you're like, I'm really comfortable with praying. I can just pray up a storm on my own. So you want to just come and you want to be here. And then next, the Saturday morning, I'm going to invite all of you to a day of corporate prayer. We're going to come at Sunday morning and pray in this room all together. And how many want to see God do something even greater than what he's done already in our midst, right? How many know that we, we've had a great year? We've had an incredible year of growth and blessing, but I just want to see the fulfillment of what God wants to do because we're just barely touching the surface. If we look at the other churches in town and we look at the number of people who call in the name of Jesus versus the number of people in our community, there's a lot of work to be done. Right? So we've not arrived by any means, and so we're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to need some courageous Christians who are willing to say, God, not my will, but yours be done. And we're going to start off the year that way, and it's going to be incredible. I'm so excited 
to see what God has in store. We're coming down two years now to our 100th anniversary. How many of you have got two years to make this the best that Bethel's ever been, right? Who wants to go into our 100th year anniversary just soaring in what God has for us, right? Full of vision, faith, health, and courage. It says here they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is kind of troubling to understand. It's tricky because they already had the Spirit. Acts chapter 4, or Acts chapter 2, these same people, it says, that everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. They began speaking in tongues and other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. As we look at the baptism of the Spirit, we look in Ephesians 1.13, and it says that when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. And so we believe that all believers receive the Holy Spirit when they receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. You receive the Spirit. But here we see this continual filling. The Bible talks many times about being filled, not just filled in a moment, but be filled and continue to be filled. Now, his understanding this, that you can't get more of the Holy Spirit. When you have the Spirit, you have all of the Spirit. You can't get more of a person. But how many know that when someone comes to your house and you open the door and you invite them in, right? You say, come on in, come and wait. And they enter your house, they, they are in your house. They're standing at the front door. But how many know there's a difference between receiving someone into your home and having someone, you know, come wait in your, in your vestibule or your, your lobby or, what, you know, whatever that word is, the foyer, whatever word you, right? Having them come into your home is different than inviting them into your home. I, I kind of think of it this way. It was when we receive Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in our house. We invite him in to the front door, but now we need to receive him into our lives. Not that we get more of the Spirit, but the Spirit gets more access to the rooms of our house. If you ever invite Riley to your house, he comes in. And when he comes into your house, he fully comes in, whether you invite him to or not. And that means that he comes in and he's going to look in your fridge. And that's how you know you're friends with Riley when Riley's looked in your fridge, right? Because he makes himself at home and he has full access in your life. The Holy Spirit wants not just to be welcomed into the front door. He wants to fill your home. He wants us to receive him, to show him all the rooms, to give him full access of our lives. See, our relationship with God changes when he's given full access and surrender. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says it now led him and directed them, the servants, the doulos of God, to preach with boldness. It's not that the Holy Spirit possesses us or makes us robots, takes over our lives. It's not the baptism of the Spirit. Baptism of the Spirit is a partnership with the Holy Spirit where we choose to submit and follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. How many want a paradigm shift in our thinking as believers this year? How many want to step into this next year praying this bold prayer of God? Hear their threats, but help us rise to the challenge. God, instead of a life of ease and a life of comfort, instead of just making my life better this coming year, I want to start this year praying, God, would you use me however you see fit? God, would you fill me with your spirit in a way that whatever pushes against me, God, there's a greater within me that's pushing against the things of the world in my life. I want to be your servant. Would you stand with me all across this place this morning? I want to pray for us. I believe that God has some significant things he wants to do in us and through us. 
And together as we encourage each other, together as we are friends who don't shrink back in fear, but we challenge each other to think differently. We want to challenge each other to think the thoughts of God about our lives. And so Jesus, right now in this moment, on this New Year's Eve, God, I just pray as we look backwards and we reflect on your faithfulness and your goodness and your presence and power, Lord, that's been in every area of our lives, God, that even when it's been difficult, we are here today knowing that we are here by your grace. God, as we look to the future, God, we know that you will continue to be faithful and true. We know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to continue to persevere and persist, God. That even in the places where it's difficult, God, even where the pressure is to not speak of the name of Jesus, even where the pressure is not to acknowledge the supernatural power of God at work in our lives, we know, Lord, that there's still a power that will go forth and bring transformation and change, God. We have a whole city, a region, Lord, a province and a nation, God, a world who needs the presence of power of Jesus Christ. And so we pray, God, would you let it start with us? Lord, would you let it start with us as individuals? God, as we are reflecting on what you are asking of us for 2024, I pray that we would have such a bold courage in our hearts. Lord, give us such a vision for our lives of how you would use us. God, maybe some of us feel like the disciples, that we were ordinary people who are untrained in the scriptures, and yet we know, Lord, as we spend time with you, God, that you transform us, that you make us mature, and you give us a paradigm shift, we pray. That will be not just for our own lives, but will be for our region. Lord, it will be for our world, Lord, that there will be many, many, many who will come to know you because of what you've done in us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name.